Good morning, Seattle. <laughs> it's almost Memorial Day and we have our slickers on. What is happening here? This Arctic River continues to plague us here in Orange County. And yet, honestly, aren't you thankful God is providing once again, after years and years of drought, I'm thankful that God in his grace is giving us the water that we need. Hi, everybody. My name is Matt Doan, one of the pastors here at Calvary Church. I have the wonderful privilege to walk us through the topic of grace here this morning. You may have heard it a hundred times. This may be the first time you're ever going to hear about God's grace. Wherever you're at in your journey with God, today will be a good day. As you hear about the truth that our God is a graceful God. And so turn with me in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the seat rack in front of you you can grab. If you want to use your device, that's fine too. But turn with me to the Old Testament book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 6. It's the fourth book in the Old Testament. It goes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And then the fifth book is Deuteronomy, which makes up the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch or the Torah. We're going to focus in here on Numbers chapter 6. Specifically in verse 25, but let me read to us this morning, verses 24, 25, and 26. And this is what it says in my Bible. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you. And give you peace. Isn't that a good passage right there? The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So although these lines from number six were written thousands and thousands of years ago, they have relevance for us here in May of 2019. And we're doing a, a series right now. This is the fourth of five weeks on on the ironic benediction. That's what this passage is called. This blessing, this benediction. It's been said for thousands of years. It's being said in all kinds of faith communities around the world, even today. And it's been pretty special since Eric has been our lead pastor. He's brought this tradition to say this blessing at the close of every one of our Sunday services. So already in, I think, what, the year and a half plus that He's led us. We've said this prayer, carrying the one, minus three, like about 80, 90 times. So what we thought we would do is we would go through each line of this blessing from number six and, and add a little depth to it so that when we as a congregation end our services each Sunday with these words, there would even be a little bit more meaning to them than maybe we even had considered and so today we're just sitting on the line and be gracious to you. Just breathe that in for a moment and be gracious to you. There's a, a great book that I've come across. It's been around for like 20 years. It's called What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey. In fact, if, if you're going away this summer and you're one of those people that likes to read a book in the summertime, this would be a great book to pick up, even a companion for what we're doing here this morning. What's so amazing about grace? Yancey, in his book, talks about arriving at a Hertz rental car desk. 
It was actually in Los Angeles, and he was racing through L.A. traffic. Imagine that. (laughs) And he was late to return his rental car. And he runs up to the Hertz counter, and he's actually, according to his calculations, 58 minutes late. And he puts the keys kind of hastily and just stressed out onto the counter of the Hertz rental car agency counter there. And, and he goes, okay, what, what do I owe for, for being late? And the woman behind the desks looks at him and says, oh, you don't owe anything. And Yancey looks at her and, what do you mean? I'm late. She goes, no, we, we have an hour grace period. You are under that hour of grace. And Yancey being a believer, and he was actually working on the book, What's So Amazing About Grace, so he decided to test her, and he asked the woman behind the counter at the Hertz agency, well, what exactly is grace? And she looked at him, and she goes, I don't know. (laughs) Apparently, they hadn't gotten to that part in the training yet uh, behind the Hertz counter. But then she thought about it for a moment, and she said these words, and... uh, this, this is amazing. This is what she said to Yancey. Well, I guess what grace means is that even though you're supposed to pay, you don't have to. Isn't that good? Even though you're supposed to pay, you don't have to. That's grace. As we hear this benediction blessing from number six, we are hearing the words that be gracious to you even though you have to pay You don't have to. That's the God that we get to relate to and worship and and live for here this morning and throughout our lifetimes. No one got to experience God's grace more. Never was God's grace on display more than to the ancient nation of Israel. And that's where the setting of this Numbers chapter 6 blessing takes place. It's spoken to the nation of Israel. Now Moses was the leader of this nation as they exited out of Egypt, parted the Red Sea, made their way around Mount Sinai, and then headed to the Promised Land. So Moses was appointed by God to be their leader. And look at Moses' commentary on the very people he was leading. You've been rebellious against the Lord from the day I knew you. Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 24. How would you like that on your tombstone? (laughs) This was Moses looking at his own people saying, you're just a rebellious nation, a rebellious people. These are the very people that God gives this number six blessing to and be gracious to you. See, the people traveled, and you can see from this video, out from Egypt, across the sea, down into this area of Mount Sinai. They camped out here for about a year, maybe two. Then they made their way up towards the promised land. And you can see all the scattering and wandering that they did out here in the desert, going back to where they'd come from, moving around. Finally, they make it up to the Jordan, and they're about to cross. And then that's where Numbers 6 ends. I mean, Numbers, the book of Numbers, ends. This journey right here from Mount Sinai down at the bottom up to the promised land, this is where Israel is today, would take about two weeks to walk. Only about two weeks. But if you've read the Old Testament, you know 
that this journey actually took them 40 years. Why? Why did a two-week journey take 40 years of wandering in the desert? Well, it was because of the, the sin of the people. It was the sin of the nation. And here's just a few listed. In fact, the book of Numbers mentions all of these sins as, as being attributed to the people. In Numbers chapter 5, you see that there was sexual sin in the nation. In Numbers chapter 11, you see that they were a greedy people. In Numbers 12, there was gossip and, and slander amongst them. In Numbers chapter 14, they were known as being disobedient. In Numbers chapter 16 and 17, they're full of rebellion, rebellion against their leadership and in anarchy. So this is the context when God instructs Moses then to tell Aaron to say these words to the people constantly, daily, be gracious to you. These rebellious people that had all of these sins listed against them. God says, I will be gracious to you. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Amazing grace isn't just a cute hymn title. It's true. That's who our God is. On a side note, as the nation of Israel developed and as their leaders began saying this Aaronic blessing over the people... They began putting their hands like this. And sorry, the rain's kind of made my hands a little inflexible here. But they would uh, they'd put their hands like this. This is the Hebrew word shin or, or the letter S. So they would put their hands like this and then they would say this blessing from number six over the people. In fact, just do this with me so I don't feel so weird. But just in your best form, you need to kind of do this, stretch your fingers. This is the blessing that they would give, that the priest, the rabbi would give the Jewish leader would give over the people. And then he would say these words. Don't you think Eric should say this every time or do this every time? That he does this blessing. You can put your hands down now. I know some of you are still trying to do that. For you, um, for you nerds out there, you may recognize this. <laughs> Leonard Nimoy who played the character of Spock in Star Trek, he grew up in a Jewish home. And he would see this blessing when he was a kid. The rabbi would get up when he was a little boy, and he said he would see this blessing over the people. Now, in Jewish synagogues, when you give the Aaronic blessing, everyone puts their heads down. They're not allowed to look up, which is, if Eric's going to do this, then I think we should do this. <laughs> I don't know. Suggestion. But Leonard Nimoy, as a kid, was always curious, and so he would always peek his head up and look at the rabbi as he gave this number six blessing. So later in life, when Nimoy becomes Spock, he incorporates the Vulcan welcome from number six. Just, that's free for you, just to kind of keep in mind as we hear this passage every week. Maybe he was saying that Spock needed grace, but there was actually a real-life person that needed grace, I would argue, more than anyone. And that's ironically the person who was commissioned to give this blessing. And his name is Aaron. You can see in, um, in Numbers chapter 6, verse 23, that Moses commissions Aaron to give this blessing. He says, speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, thus you shall bless the sons of Israel, you shall bless them. 
And so Aaron and his boys were the ones that were called out here in the desert to be the pastors of the people. They were called to represent God. They were called, in a sense, to be the spiritual leaders. That As they pursued God, then the rest of the nation was then to follow their example and also pursue, pursue Yahweh. Aaron had tremendous spiritual highs and leadership successes in his commissioned role. We read in the book of Exodus that Moses is scared to speak. He said that's the one thing holding him back. And so surely God's not going to use him because he cannot speak. And then God appoints his older brother, Aaron, to be the spokesperson. And Aaron has this front row seat to see God show up as, as he walks into the court of Pharaoh and boldly proclaims, let my people go. Aaron is the one that's speaking this. And he's seeing God's power at work. So Aaron had a spiritual high as he stepped into that leadership role. It was, it was awesome. Then later in, in the book of Exodus, we see that Aaron was one of the ones that was holding up Moses' hands. Moses was holding his hands up and the battle was happening down below. And Moses and a guy named Hur came along, I mean Aaron and a guy named Hur came alongside Moses and held up his arms as, as he began to weary and get tired. And so Aaron has again a front row seat to see God working, God having victory, God preserving the covenant in this nation of Israel. And so Aaron had tremendous highs with God, much like many of us have. But Aaron also had tremendous lows, places of incredible failure. In Exodus chapter 32, Moses is up on the Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments. Aaron's now left in charge, and the people began to murmur and complain. They're like, whatever happened to, to Moses? I think he died up there. We, we, need to, we need to do something else. We need a new plan. And, and so they begin to pressure Aaron that they need to worship the gods of, of Egypt, the Egyptian gods that they had fled from. They need to have one of those gods because maybe those gods will help them. And so Aaron <laughs> succumbs to peer pressure, takes all the gold and ornaments from the camps, throws them into the fire, and, and then crafts a golden calf. This Egyptian god, or an example of an Egyptian god, and he leads the people in worshiping this god. I mean, talk about a failure. God's chosen people, the covenant people. Aaron, appointed as their leader, their pastor, and he leads them into idol worship. It's disgusting. And then Moses comes down the mountain and he sees what's happening. He questions his brother and he goes, what are you doing? And, Moses, and Aaron just kind of lies to him and goes, oh, I just threw a bunch of gold in the fire. And ooh, popped out a golden calf. Like, whoops. <laughs> Aaron, just a coward. Sinful, broken man. This was the man that God appointed to give this blessing. A guy who repeatedly failed. What does that tell us again about God? That he chooses a people group that would constantly rebel against him and would fail. He rescues them from slavery. And just years later they say, we want to go back to slavery. And yet God says, I want you to remind them every day, be gracious to you. I am gracious to you. 
And then he appoints the man that actually will say this blessing over the people. And that guy is an utter failure, a sinful man. What does that say about our God other than the fact that he is a God of grace? That's who our Lord is. That's who we look to today. And don't we need it? I need God's grace so badly in my life. In fact, I just met a couple right before we started. And they said, I said, if you knew me, you would leave right now. Because <laughs> I'm just a punk. I'm just a guy that lives in my own selfishness, does what I want to do. I have a long history of that. Even right now I'm in that. And I probably have a future of walking in that. And yet God has been gracious to me. God has been gracious to you. He was gracious to Israel, and he's gracious to our modern-day rebellious hearts too. Amen? Amen. The book of Isaiah and Old Testament scriptures say this. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Isn't this a great passage? Prophet Isaiah reminded us that all of us like sheep have gone astray. We've inherited a sin nature from our fathers and forefathers and generations before us all the way back to Adam and Eve. Every generation, every person has been born into sin and, and has a nature of sin. But it's not just even a sin nature. Each of us has turned to his own way. We've chosen to sin. We've chosen to walk away from God. And there's an extreme consequence to this. Because God is a gracious God. But God also is a holy God. And he is just. He was gracious to Aaron. He was gracious to the people of Israel. Yet there were consequences for their sins. That generation would never enter in to the promised land. And so God is holy and just. And because each of us has turned from him... All of us are in the same category, the same situation. We deserve eternal separation from God because we sin against an eternal God. Therefore, our punishment needs to be eternal forever. That's what we are in our sin, separated forever from God. And then there's this last line. I am so thankful for the last line of Isaiah 53, 6. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. But God in his sovereign plan and in his grace caused our sin to fall on Jesus. And the cross reminds us of that. The crucifixion of Jesus. John Stott, the late John Stott, is one of my favorite authors. And, and he wrote in the book, Why I'm a Christian, he said... You know, Christianity could have several different things as its symbol. Christianity could have a manger as the symbol of its faith. For it was God coming incarnationally in the flesh into our world to save us. God could have used a towel as the symbol of Christianity. Or the church could have used a towel. For it was in the upper room that Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Showing that he came to serve and not just be served. Give his, ransom, give his life as a ransom for many. 
God, the church could have chosen a throne to be the symbol of Christianity because Jesus as the risen Savior is our King, the majestic one who reigns on the throne today. But instead, Stott says, the church chose a cross. For it's the cross that shows us that our sin has been taken care of once and for all. That is the centrality of the message of Christianity. That's the message of the gospel of Jesus. That each of us has turned away. We've all fallen into sin. And because of our sin, we're separated from God for eternity. And yet God in his grace sent Jesus to the cross. To die, to shed his blood on the cross for our sins. It's grace. And as we celebrated a month ago today, Resurrection Sunday... The cross does not even have, it's not the final chapter of Christianity. The cross leads to an empty grave. And in an empty grave we see that Jesus rose again. That he conquered death, he overcame sin. He's alive today. And anyone who believes in him as Savior and leader and Lord will have their sins forgiven once and for all. Their past, their present, this is crazy, even their future sins. Nailed to the cross. That's grace. Marie and I have 35 kids or something. We have a lot of kids. And through each of our kids, we've tried to teach them at a young age this concept of grace. You know, I think it was our oldest that we were getting to the stage where she was old enough to experience consequences. She knew what she was doing and so we would give her consequences when she would rebel against us and our rules. But every once in a while, to help her understand grace, we would look at her and get right at her eye level and her big brown eyes, and we'd say, Mommy and Daddy are going to have grace on you. We're not going to punish you right now, even though you deserve it. We're going to show you grace. So we would do that every once in a while. It wasn't really calculated. It would just kind of happen. <laughs> Honestly, it was kind of when Marie and I were really tired. <laughs> But we'll never forget, we talk about this a lot. Our oldest was about three years old, and she had done something rebellious, and so we were going to punish her for that. And we were getting ready to do this punishment, and she looked at us and she said, Have grace on me? Have grace on me?
act of faith in Jesus, we're called to be gracious people in our world. This is a photo of the Tustin High School track. And I came across a story that I just love that happened on this track. Jeff McKee, who goes here to Calvary, uh, works for an amazing nonprofit called Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And as part of his role, Jeff uh, is a chaplain for the Tustin High School baseball team. A couple years ago, one of the Tustin High baseball players broke one of the team rules. And the consequence for breaking this team rule was that he had to run 10 miles around this track. And so Jeff, being one of the coaches in his role, had to help enforce this kid running 10 miles around the track. So Jeff went out there before practice one day, and the boy came out to the track, and he just thought Jeff was going to make sure that he actually ran the miles and didn't just tell him later, like, oh, yeah, I ran it. Well, Jeff was there to monitor, but Jeff had his running shoes on that day. And Jeff greeted the boy. Kid goes, what are you, what are you doing? He said, I'm going to run your punishment with you. The coach, the leader, the one who was enforcing the punishment stepped in and ran it with him. That's grace. That's a small portrait of a follower of Jesus pointing someone else to the ultimate grace that comes from Jesus. And then maybe recognize what this is. This is a Nintendo Wii controller. <laughs> and our family was over at my brother and sister-in-law's house, Paul and Sarah, several years ago. And one of our kids, I won't mention what kid it was, was had one of these controllers and was playing a game where for some reason you have to like do this. <laughs> and they're doing this on the controller and then all of a sudden it flew out of their hand. And it went straight for my brother-in-law's brand new flat screen TV. Probably 90 out of 100 times it would just hit the TV and bounce off. But this was one of those special times. <laughs> and it completely shattered his brand new flat screen TV. I was in the living room, and the first thought I had was, run. <laughs> I was like, I'm out of here. My child, I was about to say her name, uh, or one of the two, uh, started, started instantly crying. My brother-in-law, without even missing a beat, looks at her and says, are you okay? Don't even worry about it. It's just an old TV. Who cares? Just ultimate grace in that moment. Now, I might have been able to do that after about 30 or 45 minutes. But in the moment, to just give the gift of grace to a child was just absolutely, it floored me in that, in that moment. I'll never forget it. Where are the moments in our lives as we receive the grace from Jesus that we're called to give grace to others in a graceless world? Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also forgave you. And then back to Yancey and what's so amazing about grace. Listen to what he says here. A veterinarian can learn a lot about a dog owner by just observing that dog. Or their dog. What does the world learn about God by watching his followers? 
As we live in this graceless society, if we're not the ones offering grace, how will people ever see that Jesus is a God of grace? And so some places of application here. One is we're called to have grace in our actions. You saw in the video from Josh that we have neighbor good coming up next Saturday. It's a great little opportunity just to show grace to our neighbors. In fact, just a little commercial, we are in desperate need of haircutters. So if you have any experience in that, or even if you don't, we'll take you. Um, But we would love to have you jump in next week. Grace in our actions. Grace in our words. The book of Ecclesiastes, wisdom literature says, words from the mouth of a wise man are gracious, while the lips of a fool consume him. When I came across this passage, I began just thinking through the last two hours of my words. Wow. And then grace to the poor. Proverbs 14 says, He who despises his neighbor's sins, but happy is he who is gracious to the poor. Here in Orange County, we're just seeing an epidemic of homelessness. It's everywhere. Go down 17th Street and drive the 5 Freeway. And I know for me, even as your reach pastor, I've said this before, but it's hard to keep my heart soft. I think through how, why do they have to be right there? It's it's their own choices that have led them there. And and yet God says, be gracious to the poor. We're called, as we receive grace, to give out grace to a graceless world. So... think through who do I need to be gracious to as I go from this place and live in the places that God has appointed me. Pretty significant, huh, this little passage from number six. Here's one last thing. I'm going to invite Helen Weed to come up, one of our awesome staff members here at Calvary. So this is uh, some notes from the song Amazing Grace. And I came across this idea of in music... This concept of grace notes. And I was going to explain to you what a grace note is, but then I thought, let me go to an expert. Let me phone a friend, in a sense. So this is Helen Weed. Helen leads our choir, which, just a quick plug, on Sunday, June 9th at 4 o'clock in the chapel, we have our next sing. And Helen's going to be bringing the choir in. They're going to have a beautiful, beautiful worship time. And the choir's celebrating 25 years that Helen has led our choir so well. But will you help us understand in music, what is a grace note? Well, you see the, um, all the notes up on the screen there. A grace note is a little teeny note that's put in front of a regular note. And what that does in the music is it embellishes, it adds an ornament to the melody. Mm-hmm. So it embellishes the melody and adds some different, uh, just, a, just a little bit different sound to it. Yeah, it beautifies the song in it a does. sense. It ornaments it. A lot of Baroque music uses uh, 
a lot of ornamentation, but Celtic music and a lot of music mm. uh, uses grace notes, just as a, a, an embellishment, an ornament. So we're speaking about grace, so let's hear the classic hymn, Amazing Grace, but first play it without the grace notes. Okay, that would be something like this. Pretty good. <laughs> we all know that song. <laughs> okay, now add some of the grace notes to that same hymn. Not good. As grace notes beautify, if I could use that term, uh, our music, our lives are called to be grace notes as we go from this place. In a moment, we're going to continue in worship. We're going to sing about this God of grace. I want to open up a couple places for us. One is around the room, our stations. We can take communion, remember the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus through taking the bread and the cup as symbols of what he's done. And there's also a place if you've never received God's grace, make today the day that you step forward and say, I need grace. Jesus, come in my life. And we have prayer stations on both sides of the stage. As soon as we start worship, just boldly come on up and be prayed for with that. So let me pray even right now. Father, I thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace to the nation of Israel. Thank you for your grace to Aaron. Thank you for your grace to us. God, as we receive your grace, may we then, in turn, be gracious people in a graceless world. In a sense, God, make our lives grace notes of who you are. In the name of Christ, amen.